0: The business community here is really so welcoming. And coming out of New York City where it was so competitive and you really didn't, you know, you were competing. Even when I was in a group like Entrepreneurs Organization, you were competing with all the other members. No one was really helping each other out. And the community's been great. It's, it's probably the biggest surprise because I thought that was going to be, coming out of New York, I thought that was going to be something that was a real challenge for me is that there wasn't going to be a business community and a network. And while there's not like an EO chapter here, you almost don't need it.
1: From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today is a special day. We get to put serial entrepreneur and fellow podcaster John Toda in the hot seat to talk e-learning, SaaS, and so much more. Welcome, this is Sam Roach Gerber
2: and Dave
0: Bradbury
1: recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hi John.
0: Hello Sam. Hey Dave. Hey
2: welcome John. Good to have you here.
0: Great to be here. I love the space. First time I got to see it so this was a really good experience today.
1: I know. I realized I had only seen you in 2D, so I'm really thrilled to uh, meet it's you in person. It's much more pleasant
2: this way. I don't think we need the metaverse or whatever that thing is we're going to jump into. I, I know. I know. So I'm sure we'll talk it, about it. Let's keep it analog. Let's <laughs> keep it analog. I
1: love it. Um, all right, John, Let's. we got a lot to cover here. You got a lot going on. But uh, let's start with what is Syntax in Motion?
0: Yes. Yeah, so uh, essentially, Syntax in Motion is a synthetic media studio. So by that, we basically work with our clients to help make digital avatars of, them, of themselves to be used in video communications, online learning, or like you said, Dave, uh, the metaverse at some point. Um, and so that's, that's really what we're focused on now. We do a lot of different things with virtual reality, augmented reality, but everything really in the, the space of learning and development, corporate communications primarily.
1: And so did it start out that way or did you sort of narrow down focus or sort of did it get broader after you started?
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because I, you know, I had really started focusing on this business, um, just right around the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd started it about, uh, I guess it's around five years ago now, um, or a little over, but during the pandemic, um, we'd always really been traditional production. So we were bringing people into our studio here to shoot videos, create online learning and things of that nature. Um, And then with the pandemic, we kind of realized that we couldn't get people to come here. And we started playing around with audio and different ways that we could um, create more content for people that was cost effective, but also all we needed was audio so they didn't have to come into a studio. And that kind of led us to synthetic media, which I think now is just essentially the highest level of that where we can create essentially a video copy of someone so that they can type in scripts. Uh, like they 're typing an email and create videos on the fly within, within minutes
1: that 's awesome. insane so yeah.
2: w- who would be like a customer for that? Are these brands or is it the car dealer who doesn 't want to do forty different versions a month
0: or yeah, so it 's interesting. I think there are some players that are really looking at, at this more at the large corporate level, corporate l and d because it 's a very easy way to create multi language versions of content, you can do you know, as many languages as you want with an avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, Our space specifically are thought leaders, professional speakers, authors, people who really sell their knowledge and expertise, and they've relied on content marketing, um, creating a regular stream of of knowledge and content. And for them, that's hard because they're traveling all the time. They're speaking in person. And so to have this asset that they can now put content out all the time without them having to be in the studio is is really what we gear it towards.
2: Do, Do you think this inflection in the business would have
0: occurred if COVID wasn't shutting us down for 22 months? It's funny. I think, it, I think it was coming, but I think it came much more quickly because of it. And, and you'll see all of these companies like ours involved in synthetic media really sprouted up as of 2020. So I think they got a lot more attention because of this reason that people just couldn't be together and we needed better ways um, to communicate and, and train people virtually.
1: And how, I mean, that's amazing that you're that nimble, right? To be able to kind of shift focus a little bit and kind of pay attention to what was happening around you. Is that kind of always how you operate? Just sort of like, you know, staying flexible and, and paying attention to trends?
0: Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I I kind of always operate with that startup mentality. We were, my first company was pretty lean for a long time and it it allowed us to pivot when we need to. We got into, um, we built a video training platform back in 2004. Wow. Um, so, like back then, nobody really thought of doing online video for, for anything, let alone corporate uh, they
2: training. They were still black and white. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. CD-ROM, videos, yeah. CD-ROM training, you awesome. know?
0: Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I think I learned then that. Because we always were nimble and we were able to pivot easily, um, we were able to be at that kind of leading edge of streaming video at that time. And, and we kind of followed that same, that same corporate philosophy now where I look at Syntax Emotion, at least in the early days, as an innovation lab. We were kind of playing around and trying to see what stuck and what, could, what would people actually pay for. Uh, and so, yeah, this kind of just came to us in, I would say, in the last six months— um, since we've been creating custom avatars for people six to nine months, it's really blown up. Because now people can see, before it was just stock avatars. So people would look at it and they go, oh, but I don't really want someone else delivering my words. But now that someone can come into a studio um, and in an hour or two have a digital avatar and never need to come back in, it just That's took off from awesome. there.
2: I mean, you headed toward like the deep fake video element. I mean, I, I know it gets sort of creepy when, you know, an avatar, you know it's an avatar versus... This is your, your digital twin, right, yeah. that it may be difficult to tell.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think people get it when they are delivered their own avatar because it, it seems odd when you see someone else's. But when you see yourself and, uh, and it's delivering words that you never said and it looks almost exactly like you a little less emotion than you would have in person but yeah it's creepy it is deep fake I mean that's what everybody get, kind of the first thing they associate it with mm. but the difference with that is that deep fakes you never um get the actual talent the celebrity in the studio so these are people creating their own um but the first reaction is always wow it's kind of creepy seeing myself but it's not actually me doing it. I would love
2: it because I still see myself with you know brown hair and a red beard. <laughs> you whatever, can do that. Wh- there you go. <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes to get me out of bed in the morning. I know exactly. what I'm
1: getting, Dave, for Christmas now. <laughs> yeah.
2: Club for men, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so, John, you your company's based in Burlington. You're here. You're a Vermonter. Tell us about your life before Vermont.
0: Yeah. So I I moved here full time. Uh, with uh, with my family in 2016. Um, So just just over five years now. Uh, But I'm originally from New York, I grew up on Long Island, my wife is from North Dakota. And we lived in New York City for just over 20 years. But for um, 10 of those years, the last 10, we had a place in southern Vermont in Wilmington. And you know, like a lot of New Yorkers and, and, you know, folks in Boston, you try to get out of the city as quickly as you can, as soon as the weekends. And it was great. We spent more time in Vermont um, a lot of weeks than we did in the city before the kids got a little bit older. Then you then you realize, oh wait, this model doesn't work because we have a school schedule.
2: Yeah, yeah competing yeah. for sport time and sports,
0: and, yeah. right? And so then the uh, the novelty of going driving four hours up to Vermont on the weekends, wear wear it out a little bit. And we had that bit of that life change in 2016 where, you know, I was running a software company in the city, and you know you could do that remotely now, and so we moved up here full time and in the beginning i was going back and forth i would do a week here in in burlington we had a, a small office over at karma um and then i would fly back and forth and one of the reasons burlington was ideal for us was because of the airport and i could get back to you know jfk in 45 minutes and 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 in the beginning um i was doing it every other week going back and forth which is
2: just wow, ten forty p.m. JetBlue Blue on Friday, Thursday nights or whatever. It was. Yeah, right. that's it. That that and five thirty on
0: Tuesday mornings, right? And and so I I liked it. Um, it worked at the time, and then um, right around the the uh, pandemic, uh, right as it started, I I sold the software company in the city. It was acquired um, in April of twenty twenty. So really, kind of ended my my time in New York almost overnight. Wow,
1: um,
0: which was good timing with the pandemic and everything as well. But now I've been totally here all the time and it's been great because as soon as I sold the software company and anybody who runs two businesses at once realizes you you, you kind of have to love one or the other a little bit more totally so yeah so that's uh yeah and so that's why we're here we sold the place down in southern Vermont and um bought a place up here in Shelburne and we've been here ever since now
1: awesome That's awesome you look pretty happy
0: Yeah, I mean... He's only got one business now, that's why. (laughs) No, it's a nice life change. It's a grind in New York City and and in any major city, right? It's like you're there for the commute, and you get here and you go, I've never seen so many people riding bikes in the middle of the day. I'm like, this is great. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice.
2: So was that KnowledgeLink, the company? Yes. I know it Shifted a couple.
0: Yeah, so the structures. company was Edulence, Edulence. and uh, we were joking about this earlier. Excellence through education—that's where the <laughs> name came from. And I said <laughs> I've been fired from all name, naming of products and companies, um, but Edulence. And then the product was KnowledgeLink, and, um, and what we sold uh, to a larger e-learning company was the KnowledgeLink product. That's what they wanted as kind of like the platform for their business.
1: And tell us about KnowledgeLink.
0: Yeah, so KnowledgeLink—that was the product we built the very first version back in two thousand four. Um, our niche was always video. I started as a screenwriter, so I think I was a frustrated, uh, writer who wanted to see my stuff in film and online video is kind of like the, uh, the hack version of that. So, um, we started originally just producing our own content. We were training consultants. So we started producing our own content to go on CD-ROMs or DVDs at the time. And, um, and then kind of stumbled into online video because it was just a cheaper way to do it. Wow. And, um... Yeah, we couldn't afford to print up CD-ROMs and ship them to... We got one national contract, and we couldn't afford to do it. That's
1: so, so I, crazy. I
0: know. And so I said, well, hey, I found this way that we could put these videos online. Um, but, I mean, if you'd ever tried to do it back then and tried to demo that at a large company, the buffering and rebuffering, and you're, you're just sweating through that presentation.
1: Oh, my God. And so oh.
0: Yeah, so that was the early version of KnowledgeLink, but we rebuilt it um, over the years. I ran... Um, and, and then we rebranded as Knowledge Link, So I ran that. Um, it was about 17 years before, before we were acquired. And we pivoted and evolved the platform, you know, a few times during that. Um, but, yeah, it was great. Really, our market was financial services. Mm-hmm. So we ran large online universities for insurance companies, banks, investment firms. And then in that work, uh, you know, we slowly really became a, a subscription model. And you just had a lot of monthly subscribers paying, you know, through their companies paying monthly fees for the platform. And then, as a side business or just under the same umbrella uh, and as a necessary evil, we always started producing the content for our clients because mm. they have a platform, they've got 10,000 employees to train, but they don't have any content. And so that kind of became syntax and motion inside of Edgulence, And then I, I spun that off, that business off five years ago.
2: Just, you just framed the Netflix story.
0: Yeah, right, exactly, right? Yeah. That
2: would have been a name to come up yeah. with. Netflix. Yeah,
0: now that <laughs> that would have scary. really worked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, I'm sure at that point, too, like you had been seeing all this content, so you are like, I know what to produce here, right? Because it's, you know, when you go from their material to yours in-house, it couldn't have been that much of a leap, right?
0: Yeah, and I think what we saw, too, is that the authoring of content, and now when I got into this, um, everything was built custom. Like when they built um, slideshow training, interactive training, it was done by an interactive developer. The barrier of entry was really high. And um, what really changed was that there was this um, introduction of all these authoring tools that allowed anybody to create an interactive presentation, drop a video file in the middle of it, and it could report to a platform like ours so you could actually give out credit to people. Because those early days, and KnowledgeLink was officially a, a learning management system, and while we did a lot of cool things with video on the front end, at the end of the day, compliance departments and training departments just really wanted to see a report card and know that, that people are actually doing the training when they were not in a classroom and now they're depending on, on the online platforms. And, um, so yeah, that, that became a lot of what our business was. And then we learned a lot about how to create, um, better training, more interactive training that would drive up adoption because that was always right. the challenge.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, LMS uh, companies have been just fascinating through the years. We've had a number of them in our portfolio. We've obviously uh, worked with a couple hundred folks a year that some of them turn out to always be in education or online learning, online videos. And, and content was always so expensive to produce, keep it fresh, current, replicate. So those authoring tools, like you mentioned, really changed the game. And then now I see where the synthetic element, the avatars come in, right, to very quickly freshen update, bring in maybe new compliance, you know, regs or whatever it might be for the sector. So um, that's really, really nifty. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the term synthetic, it's in synthetic bio, right? We've got <laughs> synthetic um, in this context too, synthetic foods, like what's wrong with the real world? Like, 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 it's, it, am I missing something here? Like help explain it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, the word synthetic kind of has a negative connotation, right? Like people think about it and and they say, um, you know, immediately you think of it being not real or less personalized because it's synthetic. And one of the things, and and for us, we feel like we're, we're kind of thought leaders in this space now. And so you're trying to educate people on the right way to use it. Mm. Um, And I do say that this is a way for you to actually be more personalized in your communications because you can have a video message that's personalized for hundreds or thousands of people or groups of people in your organization in a way that would have never been cost-effective to do before if you had to record multiple different versions. And like you said, for compliance, you can update a video easily by just changing the script and then republishing it. So I do think that there's a, a, a negative expectation around synthetic, but in the proper use case, it does allow you to be more personalized, more unique for um, the learners. But, you know, it's really just a term that people are using now so that you don't relate it to deep fakes.
2: Yeah, right. right. I mean, it's yes. sort of the other example I have is sort of uh, crypto and coins. It's really synthetic finance,
0: right? Yeah, exactly.
2: And now they're calling it Web3. So, you know, this massive rebranding to make it friendly and accessible. So uh, it's It's a challenge, you know, I I think and also the first experience that people have with it, right? Like, so we're not in a big corporate environment, right? So we wouldn't be served likely a a compliance avatar Mm -hmm. program. So are there any outside of the corporate learning and development? are Are you seeing customer use cases for, you know, Sam and me as we people like us that are in small organizations.
0: Yeah, so I think where where this gets really interesting is, you know, cuz the market of thought leaders, speakers, authors, the type of people we work with is pretty narrow. But then you start looking at sales and you think, okay, any sales people who really sell on their their personal brand, like insurance agents. And that that's how we built up our first business was with insurance agents and agencies. They sell on their their face and and their personality. Um, so does a realtor or a, a car dealer. And so I look at those cases where you would never do a, a follow-up video to someone to say, hey, it was great having lunch today, and you know, thanks, and just to stay top of mind, because it, either it's not going to be polished enough or you don't have time to do it. But if you could get in your car, open up an app, and type a, a 20-second script, and then have a video delivered back to you that you could share within hours— that's cool. And the, the key with all of this is it has to be cheap. Because videos like that, and in our model, they, you basically pay per minute. Right. So a video like that would cost you 10 or 15 bucks. And that, when you're at that price point, now you look at a salesperson and say, okay, this is a, a really cool way, a novel way for an insurance agent or any type of salesperson to really stay top of mind, um, to touch people, to put content out there um, in a polished way, better than you just hopping on your Zoom camera. And um, and doing it at a relatively low cost point,
1: right? That's really interesting. What a, I mean, I, you're exactly right because I would have immediately thought, from business model wise, you know, you gotta charge a lot here, right? Like this is this is something that's so new and um, you're the first, you know, some of the first ones doing it. But you're right. If you want people to really adapt it, like it has to be
0: affordable. Yeah, it's it's one of the challenges with with this form of media because. The, what you're competing against is not really other people who offer this service because there's not very many who do. I'm competing with someone who says, well, I could just jump in front of my Zoom camera and do that video for free. And so it's a, a lot of the use cases. Well, it's really nice not to have to get on camera to just type something and send it.
2: Totally. I mean, because, again, a, a crappy video is probably not worth <laughs> sending. And yeah. We do that all the time. <laughs> I mean,
1: Dave and I do hair and makeup for our audio podcast. There, there's yeah. a reason
2: we've only done one video <laughs> cast. Yeah, it just wasn't working for us.
0: <laughs> I know. And it's funny because the first, um, we opened our studio here on Pine Street in um, the end of September. And so we just get, kind of had our first round of people and we outfitted the studio with, you know, you need really high resolution cameras to produce this, this kind of content. So we needed, you know, special equipment in there, got it all set up, took our, you know, started shooting our first Um, Custom avatars in there um, late September into October. And every one of the first um, people we shot were women, professional speakers. And we interviewed them afterwards to see why they wanted to do it so badly. And they said, because this is a real pain. Like we had hair and makeup there. Mm. We made the, you know, got everything perfect. They looked great. They had the right outfits and everything. And they said, we're fine doing this right now, but I don't want to have to do this every time I want to do a video and put it out. On social media or for content marketing, so really that opportunity to say um, for a man or a woman, but anybody who cares about how they look on camera, that you only have to do it once, and then your avatar is always going to look perfect.
1: So now I have to know how. So one hour. How does this hour spent?
0: Yeah, Um, and
1: without giving away any secret sauce, of course.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's kind of fascinating how it works. There is a we use one software. Product that does the face recognition and mm-hmm. basically runs AI algorithms to train the the avatar to look and and do your facial expressions, and then we use another product that does a voice synthesis and almost a perfect uh, replica of your voice, so that then at that point forward any te- any. So you've got
2: the library effectively to to make my lips say what I want to say the next yes. time. And that's cool. And that was
0: the key. Um, early on, you had the video side, but not the audio side. So it was some stock voice on your avatar, and it just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And then if you uploaded your, uh, an actual recording of you as an MP3, you're, you have too much emotion in your voice. So when you run it through the synthesis, it digitizes it and it matches a little more closely. So we do in the studio one hour on camera, one hour on on audio, um, they read very specific scripts that are designed to for you to uh, for your face to make the motions and your mouth to make the motions that that need to be made. Wow. Um, and it's literally like um, it's maybe a five minute read on teleprompter, and we just do it about you know you know five you know five or ten times different styles to get different looks, and um, and then forty five minutes to an hour on audio, and that's it. It's done. That
1: awesome. is so effing up. cool. Yeah, I'm like, like whoa. Were,
2: when you were out on maternity leave, I, mean, yeah. I could have had you here Kidding the whole me? time. And
1: Damn it. Kept company.
2: Yeah, it was tough being yeah. without Sam. That's really just cool. just videos of Sam and we, just have it around. Seriously. How flattering. Oh, my gosh. That, <laughs> yeah. Dave's like, never mind. No, Terrible no, my, idea. No comment.
1: <laughs> um, John, I got to ask, just how has, I mean, this is pretty high tech stuff you're doing. How has hiring been for you here in Vermont?
0: Uh, yeah, so it's interesting because we've done pretty well. Um, we're still small; we've only got um, five employees now, but we've um, everyone's come uh, graduates out of UVM. So we've done well getting um, some smart, great, like really committed kids that just graduated right out of school. Um, and we have leveraged interns from Champlain College quite a bit, like great. when we need to staff up for projects. And I got to say, I know a lot of people have problems finding the right talent here. Mm-hmm. For us it's been kind of a dream with Champlain College cuz I we you know we work with Kylie King and I will tell her the type of you know people that we're looking for or the career department and you get 20 resumes from these kids who all have screenplays that they've already written and super talented either they're interested in the entrepreneurial side or they're interested in digital media in one form or another. But yeah, I think the talent pool has been great here. I, I think I'm having a harder time filling business development roles. Mm, mm-hmm. That The creative roles haven't been as much a struggle, but now we're starting to scale into that sales and marketing side, and that might be a little bit more of a challenge, I guess.
1: That's good to know. That's we good. love Kylie. We lo-
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> Just going to say that. We should get an avatar at Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do, do we have to tell her? Yeah, I think, all I think, right. think that's part that's of the deal. Right. We don't want to be the creepy place. Yeah, you don't want to be the deep We don't things, want to be the so creepy yeah. place. So can you tell us about the, the Learning Life podcast? Yeah, please. And, and how did it start and evolved? It's really exciting.
0: Yeah. So it's been like a whole other side of, of what we do. And um, I started the show and, and, and you were both on it with me, which uh, was great early on in our, our Vermont series. And I started the show back in 2017. I've been involved with entrepreneurs organization for a long time. And I was the learning chair for the, the EO chapter in New York City. And so just as part of doing that, I figured I'm paying these experts to come in and speak to the group. Why not, you know, just interview them on audio and and capture it and see what I could do with it. So I started interviewing the experts and I started interviewing entrepreneurs who were EO members and my listener base grew, particularly because it was part of that EO network. So you got a lot of business owners from around the country, around the world listening. Um, and it started just going from there. And, and in 2018, I think it was, um, my I hired one of our first employees at UVM. She became the producer of that show, and really had the idea of like, why don't we make it a weekly show? Really do it consistently, and um, and we just kept interviewing, um, or I I hosted, so I've been interviewing experts and thought leaders, entrepreneurs, interesting people from anywhere. Um, it was about earlier this year, so I think um, back in April, we and I, and it might have been I guess part of just kind of the way everyone feels with, with COVID and everything, we've been so much more locally focused where we had this idea of, you know, we often themed our seasons and we said, well, let's do a Vermont season and just start interviewing, reaching out and interviewing interesting entrepreneurs here. I thought we'd get, you know, you know 12 or 15 good episodes and then I'd go back to, you know, learning life, normal interviews. And, and um, what I totally was surprised, I, I wasn't expecting it, no shortage of super interesting people to interview, as you both know, because you've been doing it for a long time as well. Um, and, and for me, I'm so much more connected to the stories because they're brands you see every day. It's people you know that we're all kind of dealing with the same challenges of building businesses in, you know, a smaller city and, and finding talent and, and raising capital and all that. So uh, I love it. You know, we actually just made the decision now to keep learning life local and just stay interviewing Vermont entrepreneurs oh, great yeah, Congrats, which is, yeah which is awesome I, I love it because I said to my team I, I'm like we just keep finding interesting people to talk to and student entrepreneurs from from the schools and it's so much more gratifying than anything we've done so um yeah and the audience has really grown it's it's doubled in size and all the growth has come in Vermont
1: that's what I was going to ask like our our your sort of listeners from before your Vermont season still listening?
0: Yeah, so it's funny. It's a a controversial topic in the the learning life world. So uh, we lost some of our listeners because they realized we weren't seemingly ever coming back from Vermont. Um, And half the country doesn't
2: necessarily
0: like (laughs) that. And they're like, like, oh, so we're never coming out of Vermont? And and so I think we've seen some of that. um, Some of our listeners, you know, our numbers have grown overall. But you see it when you look at your your map Mm -hmm. and you're losing the international listening. We're losing listening from around the country, but it's growing so much faster here in Vermont um, that it's replaced it. And I don't know, I I often feel that the right fit for a podcast show, uh, this media type, is local. Mm -hmm. It, It feels more local. You feel more connected to your listener base than you do on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram. And so I love it as a local medium and... Yeah, so we might have lost someone, but I, the funny thing is, I get um, texts and emails from listeners um, and friends from around the country, and they go, "Man, I'm still listening because Vermont entrepreneurs are really interesting. I just never thought there were those kind of businesses there, and that's the who, best thing." Oh
2: no, it's so cool. You're absolutely right about that. It's 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 really been unbelievable um, to have a student that maybe goes to australia for the first couple of years of her career but wants to know what's going on in vermont for when they come back yeah. and this is one of the ways they come to your podcast and our start here one and and just learn you know we've always felt that it was a chance to sort of educate uh, engage and then maybe activate either an entrepreneur or someone that wanted to go work for that sort of company and that's that i think is really nifty and so many cool stories out there and I've loved I love listening to to you maybe uh, check in with Cyrus right at Renowned Skis mm-hmm. right because you know we know Cyrus back in the early day and I get to check up on him that way Sam right it's like oh wow he's legit now all right he's yeah. like a real business and great skis and product and he worked it
0: yeah. yeah and that's a cool aspect of podcast listening you know like everyone always says I, I think people think of it as a competitive medium but like Start here and, and learning life are really kind of a perfect example that, you know, it's it's nice to have the same guest on different shows. If I'm interested in Cyrus and what he's doing, you yeah. want to listen to all those interviews because you I... hit different topics that I hit. And if I'm interested, if I'm a podcast listener who likes entrepreneur interviews, I want to like consume as many of those as I can. So there's
2: well, let's be honest, Sam. He's better at it than we are. So <laughs> like.
1: <laughs> it's fine. Well, love- we're we're happy to be uh, fast followers here. If uh, you know folks that uh, enjoy your podcast, they search the name of your guest, and then they find ours. Then mm-hmm. hell yeah, right?
0: Yeah, and li- and likewise, I think you know if you're into this style of show, totally. And and honestly, it's it's great because you've I think the best thing to find off of a podcast show is another podcast show totally like that's that's well
1: I remember when Dave and I started this in 2016 we were like there how are there not like there's not that many podcasts in Vermont and now it's like growing exponentially like there's so many more but it is I mean I know it's one of my favorite ways to digest content especially because I have a commute right like I I can't even imagine not listening to a podcast every day now. And I think that trend will only continue.
0: Yeah. And I, and I love the medium. I think, um, you know, for me from the beginning, I did online interviews, uh, because I was interviewing people from all over and I wasn't going to ask them to come here. What I love about the opportunity with the local show is that we can have someone come in and we could sit in a studio like this in person. And that's a whole different experience for the interviewer too.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, some folks, um, you know, they'd be very hesitant. They wouldn't come in if we were on video, for example, right? Mm -hmm. We've had that said. And and for others, it just takes a bit to warm up. And it's a little bit tough to warm up and maybe you're in some trust early on with with a a new guest or someone you haven't met to share their story because they are personal, right? You hear all these origin stories that, well, I got divorced or I got the debt or I was crying on the sidewalk, like, but I... (laughs) Pulled myself up and we went forward and that's pretty inspiring. Yeah, yeah. Fun, fun tales to tell and I often joke with folks, I mean Vermont's still two-thirds dirt roads, yeah, right? right? And there's one of three things up a dirt road. Big mean dog, <laughs> dead end stone wall or an entrepreneur. And you got to find out what she's doing. She might be a farmer, a biologist or a software hacker. And I think that's what's kind of fun with what our job here as a VSET is to be curious and to just go discover or have our networks uh, Bubble these up because we can get them into the support systems or or some of the advising uh, around their business growth so that 's cool it 's kind of fun to see yeah. what 's out there
0: yeah it 's fun and, and and I think the stories are um, they 're really inspiring I, I think when you get younger listeners who are student entrepreneurs like when i when I graduated college, becoming an entrepreneur was not a career path it wasn 't even an option and now you see kids who already have business plans while they 're like a sophomore in at in college and so I think it's cool for them to be able to listen to shows like yours and, and mine and see like this like Cyrus is a perfect example. I mean, that story, what he overcame and, and how he financed his business with window washing. And you're oh, like yeah. if you can't complain about anything as a student entrepreneur that you can't get it going when you listen to interviews like that, like totally. You, you know, just it's willpower, you know, you just do it.
1: So I I have to ask, not just in the recent um Vermont podcasts, but your whole career, do you have a favorite interview that you've done?
0: Oh, yeah. So um, I've got some favorites uh, recently from the Vermont interviews that I think really stand out to me. Um, you know, one of the really fun ones that I had I, I, a guy, um, James Lawrence, um, he's the Iron Cowboy. So he came on, I met him through EO, and he came on, this was probably a couple years ago. He ran 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 consecutive days in 50 different states and he called it the the 50 and it's such a fascinating story and just like what he had to overcome because it's almost logistically impossible right and that story it's a great interview because he talks about that and then he came back on and announced his new one that he just finished this past year which was 100 ironman distance triathlons in 100 consecutive days but this time he did it at home in his neighborhood and so it was more of a mental challenge rather than a logistical one and when you talk to someone like that and just the inspiration that no one would ever think that they could push themselves to that limit um so yeah so he was a really inspiring interview um I had Cal Fussman on who's like this great like legendary interviewer for Esquire magazine um and so just the stories he tells so good but I I, and I think you guys probably know this too the biggest name guests you get don't tend to be your best interviews because you're a little starstruck sometimes with those ones, and you're like, Oh, you're striving so hard to so, get the- so true, yeah. And so, um, yeah, and just recently, uh, you know, like we just released um, uh, Jay Leventhal's episode about Jay skis and line skis, and he's so good. I mean, it's just such a good storyteller, he's it's a awesome. yeah, yeah, but yeah, so I, I, and I learned something from all of these. Uh, interviews and I, I think the Vermont ones are not that different than any of the others. You know, it's yeah. funny when you start doing it and you're like, okay, they're they're not dealing with different challenges than the rest of the country. We're we're all we all have the same challenges with scaling a business and finding talent. And um so yeah, I think they're they're all they're all fun though.
1: That's awesome.
2: Who's your favorite Sam? Do you have one?
1: Oh I don't know if I have a favorite. I'm trying to I mean, I have I have my sort of like bias uh, answers of of, you know, friends that we've interviewed, of course, because I, you know, the more to choose. Right. right. And, And it's tough because sometimes like the more you know about them, you know, the easier the interview is. But like some of the ones that I just don't know anything about their business end up being just amazing. Like Paul Ralston, like I didn't know Paul at all. And then, um, you know, Dave's like, he's awesome. We have to interview him. And it was, I, I think I had like the like, oh my God, look on my face the entire time because everything he was saying was just so funny and interesting and different and uh, he blew my mind. So he might be my yeah, most recent was
2: favorite. Line. Well, he was yeah. my favorite entrepreneur for selling organic kindling in a box outside of Whole Foods. Uh, yeah. for It was like a $60 box of kindling. It was like a $58 and, and, and margin. He's like, I had a, Eight hundred percent markup. Yeah. It was the best business ever. People <laughs> were giving amazing. me the supply for free, and um, really, really nifty. So, you know, as a as a a, a real active participant and observer of Vermont, um, what surprised you the most, and what's maybe disappointed you the most?
0: Um, yeah, so that's a good that's a good question because I am relatively new, um, and particularly new to the business scene here. Because uh, you know, I'm I'm just kind of fresh to this now. I think. Uh, it's come up on so many of my interviews and, I'm, and I know on, on some of yours too that I've heard and, and I've seen it firsthand. The business community here is really so welcoming and coming out of New York City where it was so competitive and you really didn't, you know, you were competing, even when I was in a group like Entrepreneurs Organization, you were competing with all the other members. No one was really helping each other out. And I think, you know, I saw it firsthand when we launched this show and started reaching out to people. Um, who didn't know anything about us and, you know, or, or what Learning Life was. Um, and everyone agreed to come on and then, you know, make connections and, and refer other people to us. So I think the, the community's been great. It's, it's probably the biggest surprise because I thought that was going to be coming out of New York. I thought that was going to be something that was a real challenge for me is that there wasn't going to be a business community and a network. And while there's not like an EO chapter here, you almost don't need it. You know, right, like, with right. what you're doing and, and with the whole community and how everyone's so closely networked. So that, I think, has been the, the real positive. I think that probably one of the challenges for me is um, I moved here for the international airport, and uh, it could use some more direct It hasn't flights. been international. Yeah, well, actually,
2: they're seasonal now, right, to Toronto. Yeah. The winter the wintertime. So. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I,
0: I'd i like, because I end up having to travel a lot for business, and then we have to bring people here mm. to Burlington to to come to the studio, so... Um, easier flights in and out of Burlington would make a lot of our business easy. That's a little selfish, but, um, yeah, that's, that's probably the only thing is travel in and out is, is challenging or longer, but I mean, the experience, quality of life and just business building. Yeah. I think I've enjoyed it this time around so much more in Burlington.
2: Uh, Man, you totally stole my question about, are you going to (laughs) stick? Right. (laughs) Well I'm not I not going to ask that one anymore, right?
1: I was thinking that was kind of the magic wand question without asking the well, magic we're wand. We're at that <laughs>
2: point, too, Sam. We're at that point. Do you want to ask that? Yeah,
1: well, we'll give you like a, this is the way you can give like another answer, right? So, our magic wand question if you could change one thing in Vermont today, what would you change? And, and it can be more flights in the airport, but if you want to give another answer as
0: yeah. well. That would seem a little shallow. More <laughs> direct flights and, and more snow days. Yeah. Um, now, I love this question because I've listened to many of your episodes till the end. And so I hear the answers to this. And it's a great way to test if your guests actually listen all the way through to your episodes. That's totally. Because if you are <laughs> flubbing this one, you, you haven't listened well enough.
2: Haven't done your homework. Yo.
0: <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I did think about this. And uh, I have numerous um, less important answers to it. But I think one of the things I've noticed as I'm trying to scale my team and I'm bringing in employees right out, of, right out of school who are not making a whole lot of money yet, and part of the value of building your business in a smaller city like this is that I can do it a little bit more lean at, at lower payrolls, but there's kind of a disconnect with the availability of affordable housing. And, oh, yeah. and I know that's a big issue at low income, but even like moderate income, mm-hmm. that I think I just read something that you need to make a $50,000 salary to afford just a basic two bedroom apartment around here. And I, and I look at that and I think that's something that I know a lot of smarter people than me have probably been working on for a long time. But uh, it's something I can kind of sense directly through my employees that they just can't find a good lifestyle. They, they know the quality of life is here but they can't necessarily afford or even find an available place.
1: And there might be other folks working on it, but I think as a business owner, like you voicing that is super important because we need to hear it from everyone, right? We need to sort of be all hands on deck to solve that problem because it's true. I talk about it all the time. Like when I was in my like mid to late 20s, all of my friends moved away because they couldn't afford housing and they, you know, they were making a sort of like decent salary, you would think, but they're still living with four other people and they're almost 30. And they're like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. This is not worth it to me. And so I think that is a major burden for folks and, and something we need to solve for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel like it, the same thing is that I, I see my younger employees and I feel like they're still living the way they did in college mm-hmm. and they're wishing they could kind of get No, you know, a normal apartment of their own, and um, so yeah, that that's probably well, it's not uh, you know, probably the most important issue. I think when you think of businesses trying to attract talent and scale their business, it's one of those things that you may just not even be able to get someone to come here because of that.
2: Oh, it's the number one barrier. Um, the housing stock at different levels and and then childcare being able to find one of those limited slots time and time again we have plenty of really well paying jobs these are north of $80,000 um, but it's tough to tough to come around kind of and say oh I got to commute an hour and a half or you know not uh, not find the place that you want with a little backyard perhaps or a different sort of uh, environment but um our biggest challenge is population and we need a few more people here every year. And with that comes, you know, road, housing, schools, supports, childcare. So, um, I'm glad I'm not in charge of figuring it out. We'll do our part agitating and maybe bubbling it up in our conversations. So,
1: yeah.
2: John, thank you. This is, uh, time to wrap it up, but thank you so much for for spending time with us and showing us what a real interviewer's like. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I'm, just,
1: I'm taking notes over here. God,
2: I, why did we do this at the beginning of this season? Like, know. I'm going to be like just imposter syndrome here the rest of the season.
0: Are, you guys are making it hard for me to go back to my next interview. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Good. Well, we'll keep doing this. We'll check in in a few more years, right? Yeah. See what uh, you've learned. This has been Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series is supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Let's get back to our learning life in Vermont. Thank you again.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.